Welcome to Chowder and Grits. Today is Thursday, March 7th, and the countdown to the madness is on. I'm Justin Cochiola alongside Tim Hurth. Tim, what is happening? Well, let's see. We're getting closer to March Madness, which is a good thing. Uh, you know, spring training for baseballs in full swing. We've even got a weird football league happening. There's a whole lot going on, Justin. Um, as you know, last podcast, I was in Texas, uh, so the sound probably wasn't ideal. Um, we had our little barbecue review, which is fantastic. I also just wanted to say the Mexican food was great. However, upon your recommendation, I tried Whataburger for the first time. And let me tell you, I have seen the light. I can only hope that at some point within the next five years, the Raleigh area gets a Whataburger too, because I don't know what I'm going to do without a jalapeno Whataburger um, at my whim anytime I want it. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, you know, Whataburger. They're, they're really based in the South Central, uh, Louisiana, Texas, Arizona, uh, Oklahoma. And I haven't been to New Mexico, but I imagine they're there because it's in between Texas sure. and Arizona. Other than that, I, I don't think they're anywhere to be found. And really, that's just a travesty because they've got so much to offer. And it's more than just what a burger. It's like what a chicken biscuit. <laughs> it's what a honey barbecue chicken sandwich. Oh, man. <laughs> it's what a Hold fry. On. Well, that's, hey, that's a great it's, point. What a, it's what an awesome. That's a great point. What, what you awesome. just mentioned is, is really what caught me off guard because you did not tell me that they had – French fries that rival that of McDonald's. That was surprising. That French fry may have been the best fast food fry I've ever had. So, Tim, I'm heading to Dallas on Saturday, and there is a Whataburger at a gas station on the way out <laughs> of the airport, right next to the rental car. It's, it's getting hit up. And <laughs> that is, it, it might be their order oh of the year gosh. type of deal. Well, so so what are you going to get? Because I know you mentioned that you know they had a couple of chicken items that were great, um, but really, I mean that that jalapeno Whataburger. I'm trying not to oversell it here, but it was fantastic. I, I don't know. So what do you do so, after such a long hiatus? I try to typically after a long hiatus, I'll cave and get the fries. And I'm the kind of guy who, if I go to a fast food place, I go Sands Fry. Sure. Because I just don't want the extra calories. And I'm usually good after the burger. Right, right. You know? And then if I'm on a flight or something, I'll grab like a protein bar or something for later that I can feel better about eating than, you know, 450 (laughs) calories worth of french fries. (laughs) Okay? So I probably won't go fries just because... I've just it's it's kind of my rule and I'm in Dallas and I'm probably going to eat, you know, pretty oh, unhealthy sure. for dinner oh, sure. too. So just try to save the calories where you can basically. But I go through phases. I'm going to go up to that drive-through and I'm going to see three things. <laughs> One, I'm going to see their all-day breakfast oh, menu, Lord. which is highlighted by the honey butter chicken mm. biscuit and the jalapeno cheddar sausage biscuit. <laughs> Good grief. Then for lunch and or dinner, you've got the two the two staples. 
you've got the honey barbecue mm. chicken sandwich on Texas toast, which is out of this world amazing. And then you've got the number three, the jalapeno yep. Whataburger. And it is out of this world. They put mustard instead of Bingo. ketchup, which That's the I first like. thing that jumped out to me. And you can ask for their spicy ketchup, Game changer. which is a delight. Game changer. I don't know if you've... Well, they, they had them sitting out at the so, airport, and I, I noticed that there were two different colored ketchup containers. Because their ketchup containers are like uh, McDonald's chicken nugget sauce containers. So first off, I want to say, hey, that's the way to go. Because those ketchup packets are, you know, that's old news. That spicy ketchup, oh my word, fantastic. So there's a grocery store in the Houston area called H-E-B. And they sell it at at that chain only. I haven't seen it in like the Kroger's up in the Dallas area, but... Yeah, the spicy ketchup's a game changer. And I'm not one for ketchup, typically. I'm more of a sriracha yeah. guy. Uh, but the spicy ketchup, I got to go yeah. for. But, yeah, so, I mean, I'm going to go through that drive-thru, and it's, it's just spur of the moment. You know, whatever whatever it's going to be, it's going to hit me at In that the um, immortal words of young jock, it's going to go down at that drive-thru line in Dallas. Oh, it's going to be on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> I love it. Well, dude, that is a great way to start a podcast. I just maybe we are a uh, ACC football, basketball, and fast food review podcast. Maybe that's what we are. I mean, why not? And while we're on it, let's go ahead and throw barbecue, Mm -hmm. bingo, uh, Mexican, (laughs) and you know, pizza doesn't differ for me enough from place to place. I mean, you you have to go to specialized areas to get pizza. I agree. But yeah, anyway, great recommendation. I'm glad you're going to be going to the motherland, which is how I will always refer to Texas now nowadays. I am a Texan. As I posted on Facebook, there there's no doubt when I walked around in Texas, I just I knew I was meant to be there and I could tell um, that I was from there in another life. So I am I'm officially a Texan now. Well, so when I lived in Texas, I had cowboy boots oh, obviously. And uh I haven't worn them since, and not because I don't like them, but because I live in a place where people don't wear cowboy boots. But in Texas, everyone wears cowboy boots. I don't know if you noticed the first thing I noticed. Everybody's got them. It's like what you do. Um, But, yeah, I mean, if I were to wear those in Chicago, I'd probably slip and, you know, break my leg on the way to the garage because they're they're pretty slick. You know, sure. not a lot of grip going on there. All that, all that ice. No, no, not at all. Speaking of grip, uh, Tim, maybe you can help me get a grip on the game last night. Uh, ACC basketball is obviously in full swing. Uh, it's really kind of not in full swing. We're re- we're winding down. But the uh, the Hokies Florida State game last night, Tim. It was really a tale of two halves and. Oh, man. I have not been that frustrated watching a basketball game due to the officials. I can't recall the last time. Uh, It might have been my number one most frustrating game I've ever watched for the sole reason that they were treating Kerry Blackshear like he was Shaquille O'Neal against the team that dominated us in size. Yeah. With Blackshear, 
who is by far our tallest player, probably by four or five inches. And it was him against it was him against the zebras last night. And it was the the calls they were making were absolutely atrocious. Florida State was flopping. There was one call in particular that I loved where Blackshear literally had his hands straight mm-hmm. up in the air and they called a foul. It was a delayed whistle and they called a foul, which was his fourth of the game. And then his fifth foul was almost as atrocious, but not oh, as man. bad. I don't that, know. That fifth that was one the game hurt, changer. man. That hurt. Uh, it just, you know, what got me. I, I honestly, like, ahead. the fifth foul was so bad, I I had to, like, hit rewind, like, yeah. three or four times to even see what was even possibly yeah. called. I mean, I'm still not sure. I'm, I'm still not sure how that's a foul. What gets me the most is, right, if you go into that, and I'm not trying to insinuate that anything nefarious was going on, but if you go into that game, and as an official, you want to have the largest impact on that game that you can have, it would be to call a tight game on Kerry Blackshear and no one else. And that's what happened. And when I say tight game, I think that's giving the officials too much credit in that regard. They literally fabricated fouls at least twice on Kerry Blackshear. And I mean fabricated in the truest essence of the word, as in there were no fouls and they made something up. As to why, I could not tell you. Um, but it couldn't have happened at a, at a more critical time for that basketball program. If, if, if Virginia Tech was able to get the double bye after a win yesterday, I think you have to give Buzz Williams Coach of the Year in the ACC. That's, that's how important I think that game would have been to that program, to go without your best player for three and a half weeks and end up sealing a double bye would have been an outrageous coaching job. And it's just a shame to see it all. Not to say that Virginia Tech would have beaten Florida State, but the game would have been even closer than it was and it already went to overtime. So that hurts, and that, that's been a tough pill for me to swallow. If, uh, if Buzz Williams doesn't get coach of the year, then they should go ahead and discontinue it sure. and never give it out again. Because Virginia Tech has dealt with the weirdest attrition to their roster of any ACC school or really any team in the country that I can recall that wasn't hit with some kind of sanctions. You had the landers Nolly situation to start the year where he scored too high on his ACT, so the NCAA said, no, he can't play. Uh, he wasn't caught cheating at North Carolina, <laughs> so he can't play. Then you had the Chris Clark situation, which I'm not really sure what happened there. We never really got the full sure, yeah. story, but he's no longer with the program. Then you have the Justin Robinson injury with your best player of the year going down. He's been out for over a month, and you know Virginia Tech last week played their best game of the year, which we'll talk about in a second, against Duke. But you had them coming into this game completely undermanned. Florida State is probably the deepest team in the ACC. One of the biggest, if not the biggest, team in the ACC as far as size goes. They had a huge advantage. They got absolutely dominated in the first half. And the officials brought them back in in the second half. And there's really nothing else that really kind of contributed to that because Blackshear got into foul trouble immediately on these phantom calls. And so you take away your best player and you have to go from your biggest guy who's maybe 6'10". Yeah, on a good day. His replacement is essentially P.J. Horn, who's six four right. and a half. Okay, it's like that doesn't work. Right. 
So somehow Virginia Tech was able to force overtime. And going into overtime, I mean, they had probably a 10% chance to yeah. win that game. There was nothing and, left. I mean, it showed. I mean, it was it was just uh, a shame to see a game go like that. And typically this time in March, these games are not that meaningful. But this game yeah. was huge because it, it was for the double bye in the ACC tournament. Um, and... You know, we'll talk about this later, but the bracketology game flipped on us. So Virginia Tech was a four seed playing in Hartford, Connecticut. Florida State was a five playing in San Jose, California. Well, after this game, those two flip-flopped. So now the Hokies have to go all the way to San Jose, the furthest of any team. The furthest any other team is projected to go in the ACC is Des Moines, Iowa. Okay? San Jose, California. I don't know what an ACC team that is finishing in the top five of the conference is doing going past the Mississippi in the NCAA tournament. That is an absolute joke. It's been the best conference in college basketball all year, uh, probably for the last decade. And the fact that, again, Virginia Tech seems to be getting hosed when it comes to March Madness, just like they were in the Greenberg era, and they have to go all the way to the West Coast as a five seed is an absolute travesty. Yeah. yeah, it's a travesty, and it's it just it goes to show how cruel basketball can be, regardless of, of where you place blame on that loss for last night. And granted, Virginia Tech could have shot better. There were things that that they could have done better to to seal a win and not have it come down, uh, you know, to be as tight of a game as it was. They did blow a large lead. Um, but all the adversity Virginia Tech has faced to fight like they have fought and to end up in the position that they're in right now uh, with, with Justin Robinson out and, and the timing of his injury and, and all the, mention, the players you mentioned before with Clark and Nolly and what's happened with them, it's, it's cruel, man. Basketball can be so cruel. Um, but they'll fight back, and, and who knows? Um, you know, they'll, they'll have to. Uh, obviously, Robinson's going to be a big piece of this whole equation. But um, there's still an ACC tournament to play. They will have one bye, uh, which will help. Um, but that double bye would have been crucial for a team that's already short on men. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I am still hopeful. I think the Hokies have a great chance, especially if they can find that three-point stroke that they had earlier in the year. Um, rolling into tournament play, if they can get hot, look out, because I do think Buzz is a great coach, and there are some really, really good players on that team. Uh, so that leads us to our first mailbag question. Um, we'll get to the real one later. Justin in Chicago asks, Tim, was this the worst <laughs> officiated game in the history of the ACC? Man, it, if not, it's it's right up there. I, I, I'm having a hard time imagining a situation where I've seen a player who was so important to his team seemingly get targeted. Um, the way that Kerry Blackshear was targeted, and I hate to use the word targeted, right, because that insinuates nefarious things. But my word, I can't, I can't think of a better phrase to describe what I saw. If you showed me the stat line, the box score last night, that Kerry Blackshear had 23 minutes, 23 minutes in a game that went to overtime, I would have already known that that Virginia Tech had lost that game. You, you needed Kerry Blackshear more than you needed anybody on that on the court for his offensive production. But not only that, let's not forget how good of a passer Kerry Blackshear is. Um, the offense runs through Kerry Blackshear as if he were a point guard with no J-Rob. So it was very interesting to me to see that stat, to see what I saw with my own eyes, 
it did not come away thinking, you know, that that one feels like it was taken from us a little bit. Yeah, so that's that. Um, there is good news around the VT program. They beat Duke last week. So we're obviously a little late uh, getting to the podcast on this one, but uh, we won't bore you with the details. Virginia Tech owns Duke uh, in Blacksburg. I will go ahead and say that now. Uh, February 26th happens to be the date in which they own the Blue Devils. I think it's the third time they've beaten Duke on February 26th, um, going back to the Seth Greenberg days. So that's kind of random and uh, weird, but that's the case. But uh, yeah, Virginia Tech played their best game of the year without Justin Robinson, um, at least, and Blackshear absolutely dominated that game. But that kind of gets me to really where I want to go with this, and that is the Duke fans. (laughs) So... Duke fans must be the most illogical, spoiled, dumbfounded fan base I've ever seen in my life. You had people literally saying that the reason, the only reason that Virginia Tech won that game was because Zion Williamson was out. Do you realize what you're saying? (laughs) If you're Duke, you have three top five NBA picks on your roster. No other team in college basketball can say that. So if one of those guys goes out, you should still be expected to win every game that you're in. Absolutely. And they've played like a team with no top five picks, maybe even no first rounders other than RJ Barrett. RJ Barrett's been playing well, but over the last few games, Duke followed up the Virginia tech loss with a huge win, huge meaning the differential, uh, over the, uh, (laughs) Miami hurricanes won by about 30. And you would have thought that, you know, they had just won their third consecutive national title. The amount of joy that I saw from the bench production and uh, the fact that they actually hit a few threes in that game and, you know, everybody was scoring. You know, I thought I thought it was, you know, I thought they were kind of like kidding themselves intentionally, but they weren't. They were being serious. And then they followed that up with a one point win over Wake Forest last night, Tuesday night this week. So, I've got a lot of questions with Duke. One, how far are they going to go in the tournament? I assume Zion Williamson is going to be back either this weekend against North Carolina or for the ACC tournament. But let's say he's not. Do they get to the Sweet 16? Because they're playing like a team right now that won't get there. Sure. No, I I absolutely don't, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, Zion is going to be key to that equation. And when Duke is without Zion, they become a team that can't shoot in an offense that gets a bunch of three-point shooters open. Uh, in those other top five draft picks you mentioned, they can fill up the stat sheet some nights and then just kind of fade away into the background. Not at all like you would expect, uh, you know, a top five NBA draft pick to play. Like when Zion's on the court, you know immediately 
he pops out at you, not just due to the sheer athleticism, but the way he changes a game is just phenomenal. Um, you're, you're not really seeing that uh, out of guys like Barrett. And it, it's tough to, to comprehend. Coach K is such a good coach and gets so much out of his players. Uh, you think a team that would be suited to losing a guy like Zion would be Duke, and they can replace him with the talent, and the, the coaching staff is there to, you know, pick up the pieces, but I've been really disappointed with how Duke's handled lacking Zion, and also, as you mentioned, the excuses from the fan base have been crazy, considering just about every team in college basketball is facing some kind of adversity this year due to injury or attrition. Um, you know, NC State, look at NC State around the league. you got Markel Johnson, who's missed a, a, a large amount of time. Eric Lockett got kicked off the team, who was seeing decent minutes, you know, for not kicked off the team, but he suspended indefinitely due to potential domestic violence charges uh, that were dropped. But he has to go through review process, still can't play. Um, so if Duke had lost NC State, I, you know, would, would they complain that, you know, they weren't at full strength as if, as if, you know, they should be immune to injury? I don't understand that. Not to get too far on a tangent, though, but they, they look lost without Zion. They look completely lost, and I don't know how you just how you fix something like that when you have an offensive system that's so set in stone and in such a known quantity to make it fit pieces that seemingly don't fit um, is interesting. And I think Zion was just masking a lot of problems that have been here since the beginning of the season. Even if Zion does come back, it doesn't fix their two biggest issues, three-point shooting yeah. and free throws. And they have three issues without Zion, and that's no inside right. game whatsoever. Right. So I don't know if that is really what is what we're seeing, but I mean, RJ Barrett's been filling up the box score. I don't know if that's because everything is running mm-hmm. through him or if it's just nobody else is contributing. And if you look at the game, or if you watch the game, if you look at the box score, there are just not a lot of contributors. And that is really odd to say for a Duke team, but they are so top-heavy this year, and they shouldn't be because they have talent all over that roster. They're just not getting it from anywhere else. It's literally R.J. Barrett, maybe Cam Reddish if he decides to show up, and then you've got... You know Zion, obviously, if he's if he's healthy and if he's playing. So, yeah, I think Duke's got a lot of a lot of issues. Um, their three point shooting and free throw shooting really makes me question if they can get to the Final Four. Like I thought they were a surefire lock, but as the season went on, like it just becomes just becoming a bigger and bigger issue. They don't seem to be getting any better. Obviously, Zion, even if he does come back, is he going to be full strength? Who knows? So. Um, we'll see what happens with Duke and, uh, another team who is not playing poorly, UVA also extremely top heavy Kyle guy, Ty Jerome, Deandre Hunter is maybe better than the three headed monster that Duke has. In my opinion, they're certainly more consistent. And, uh, those are three guys that, you know, to me, DeAndre Hunter is the catalyst of that unit. If he's not on the floor, Virginia is at a pretty big disadvantage when it comes to inside basketball. Um, In the paint, down low, rebounding, everything kind of runs through him. Um, He is really kind of coming to his own this year. I think he's a surefire, you know, top 10 pick in the NBA draft. He, uh, 
he's a stud. But if he gets into foul trouble or, you know, if he gets injured or whatever, uh, Virginia is another one of those teams where they don't get a lot of production from, from anyone else other than those top three guys. Occasionally they'll have somebody else step up uh, when the time is needed. But that's a team right now, for whatever reason, I feel like it's kind of just flying under the radar. Nobody's really talking about them. They are just killing teams right now. And they haven't been playing anybody super high uh, profile of late. But they've got a game against Louisville this weekend. Not that Louisville is really much to write home about these days. Uh, But Virginia, to me, is the team that I think will go the furthest in the NCAA tournament out of the, if I'm picking between them, Duke, and UNC, I'm probably going to put my money on UVA at this point. Yeah, I mean, and it's rightfully so. I mean, UVA has been incredible, all outside of some small rough patches. Outside of, uh, you know, a, a few weeks ago, uh, they hit a little a little tight spot in their schedule where they weren't playing quite as well. But consistency has been key to them. And, and when you play defense the way that they play defense, as much as it grinds my gears that I feel like they're officiated in a different manner than most of the league, not to bite back on the officials too hard. They have been just incredible all year. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, you, you juxtapose what they've done versus what Duke has done, and, and Duke with supposedly more talent. If you go look at the, the, the box scores and the stat sheets game by game for a guy like Cam Reddish um, and then compare him to uh, guys like Ty Jerome, um, Kyle Guy, the thing that pops out to you is that these guys on UVA are bringing it every night. Uh, Hunter specifically, you see maybe two to three to four games in single digits all year in scoring for for those guys. And you look at Cam Reddish, and he goes, you know, one game he'll score twenty seven, and the next game he'll score six. Um, he'll score five. That kind of inconsistency is what has been hampering Duke, especially without Zion, because the one consistent. Uh, variable that you had on duke was zion you throw out that consistency and it shows it shows you exactly what happens to two programs uva uh, i feel like they could lose one of their big three and, and they keep going because they have such an identity and i i don't think it's based on just one person if, if kyle guy goes down i think uva is going to be fine um, and that's why i think you you know you you're exactly right to, to take uva over just about everybody else besides unc right now um, because they have an identity. They know who they are. They defend like their lives depend on it. Um, whereas Duke, you know, one person goes down and they unravel. And I think a large part is due to the fact that they can't find consistency uh, without Zion. But not to bring it back and not to play ESPN and make everything about Zion. But that's a long way to say UVA has just impressed me uh, with their ability in a year where they weren't supposed to have much on the offensive end in an area that they typically struggle, which is the offensive end, right? They're known for defense. They've just been awesome all year. And you can't say enough about what Tony Bennett's done there. Yeah, and I think the difference between UVA and Duke is, you know, I don't really have anything bad to say about Zion or R.J. Barrett as far as, you know, if they have an off night, they're still uh, producing in other ways. And I'd say the same for all three of UVA's guys. You know, if they're having an off-night shooting or, you know, getting into foul trouble, at least when they're in the game, they're making an impact in one way or the other, even if they're not scoring or they're not, you know, dominating on the rebounds. Duke with Cam Reddish, he's either a superstar or his face is on a milk right. carton somewhere. You don't know where this it's guy insane. is or what he's going to be from night to night. And that's an issue. And I think 
what is concerning me about Duke is what happened to Arizona last year. And not that they were on the same level as far as talent all over their roster, but they had a team that was a very talented four seed with DeAndre Ayton and got yep. whooped in the first round by 13 seed Buffalo. Buffalo turns out they got some talent on that team. They've been in and out of the top 25 this year. But at the same time, the University of Arizona should not be losing to Buffalo ever. But that team just played super disinterested. Like nobody showed up for the game. I'm not saying that's going to happen across the board for Duke, but when you're talking about a top heavy team and then one of your key, you know, ingredients, you know, didn't make it to the kitchen table, you're going to have, you're going to have a problem come tournament time. Right. And this is kind of where you see uh, in the era of one and dones in college basketball, the strength of having some guys that have played together for a period of time. Uh, the one-and-dones, talent-wise, are incredible, but there's a lot of cohesiveness that develops between guys that have developed together over the years in a system that they've played for in, in a couple years, in, in three years or four years, depending on what class they are, obviously. But you can see their identity become that of the team and not of themselves. Right now, Duke looks like a bunch of guys who haven't played together for a long time. And that's exactly what you're seeing on the court. When one of them is injured, where do they get their answers from? Uh, Yeah, you're getting great production out of Barrett. But as you said, Cam Riddish goes missing. That's not to say there aren't talented people on that bench. It should be able to make up for the slack. But I think it has more to do with that. I think it's a statement of where we are in college basketball. When you see teams like those Arizona teams struggling, those were full of one-and-done guys as well. And Aiton himself was seen as a generational player. Um, you know, we haven't seen an, athlete, an athletic five that big, you know, since almost Shaquille O'Neal um, with a size and athletic ability that he has. And, and he wasn't the only player on that team. And, and they didn't do anything in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, they had some pretty tough times during the regular season, too. And I think that speaks to a larger issue, which is, okay, you want to play in the one-and-done space, um, but sometimes that's going to fall apart. And I think Kentucky is dealing with that to a certain extent, too, even though they always have a perennial top 15 program. They're having a hard time fielding well, teams, right, that can pick, that compete at the level they expect on a, on a year-in, year-out basis with one-and-dones. That leads me to my next point. I was going to say that Duke has never looked more like Kentucky than they do this year. Beautiful lead into that. I couldn't agree more. Because Kentucky is a team who every year they have four, five, six guys. You know, their star reserve player is going in the first round of the NBA draft. It's just stupid. I mean, if I'm like a top prospect player and I've got another one or two, you know, McDonald's All-American going to my school, why why would I go to that school? You know, I, I want to play. I don't want to come off the bench. That's not the case necessarily in Duke at Duke right now, but all three of those guys are gone after this year. And they're in a position now where they have to reload every single year. And that kind of started with the whole Kyrie Irving situation, which I think he played like two minutes total for Duke. Um, But yeah, I mean, Duke has really kind of turned the page on how they 
you know, plan out their program over the last few years. But this year in particular really stands out to me. It's like, oh, they're Kentucky. So they're either going to, you know, make a run in the tournament and get to the national title. By the way, Kentucky only has one national championship under Calipari. Or they're going to, you know, lose somewhere along the way. And right now it's kind of shifting towards losing somewhere along the way more than it's kind of Duke against the field type of feeling. Right, and, and that's 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 definitely what I feel with those with those one and done types, and, and Coach K has decided as of late that that's a space he wants to play in. And who could blame him with with the way these guys are built up? But but compare that to what the success Roy Williams has had at UNC, and he hasn't pulled quite the headliners that Coach K has pulled, but he's in in the Tar Heels have performed far more consistently. Um, you know, national titles to back it up. And this year they've been, you know, the, the most impressive team to me in the ACC, given where I thought they were and the fact that I don't see anybody jumping off of that page. Um, it, it's it's crazy to think about where we're sitting with them. With, with now, to me, I, I think they're my favorite to win the ACC tournament. And earlier in the year and earlier in conference play, I, they weren't doing it for me. I thought that they weren't as talented as they had been. But you look at that roster and you start to see guys like Luke May, Cam Johnson, Kenny Williams, guys that have been there a long time, um, you know, seniors in May and Williams and, and Johnson's, uh, even though Johnson wasn't with UNC the whole time, in those guys' case, that are the building blocks of a team that has just been fantastic so far. Now, they've, they've obviously struck gold with Kobe White. I mean, who could, he was highly rated, right? But, I mean, he's been incredible for them, especially from – you know, the dynamic playmaking standpoint. But you see a roster that has worked under one coach for, you know, in this case, a lot of guys, four to five years, and you can see it start to translate in their play. And it, it speaks to the, the overall all theme, which if you're a head coach, you have to answer, do you want to build that team on a bunch of mercenaries, guys that are going to be there one year and hop to the NBA? Or are you going to take a more long-term view like Roy Williams has taken with North Carolina and say, you know, I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to recruit a couple of the big names, but I'm also going to get some guys that will stick around the program for a while. And with the way Kentucky has performed recently, I I just don't know. It's interesting to see these things play out because you can certainly see dynamic athleticism and talent for days on Duke's side, but there's just something not clicking with that team. Outside of the three-point shooting yeah, in, I mean, in the free throw shooting, there's still something not right with that team. UNC under Roy Williams has done a great job of mixing in new talent with core right. talent. And I think Duke is missing core talent right now. By core talent, I mean people that have been there longer than sure. a year. And, I mean, if you think back to the first national championship Roy Williams won – uh, which, you know, incidentally is the cheating scandal sure. team. You had Rashad McCants, Sean May, Raymond Felton, uh, David Noel. All those guys were juniors and seniors yeah. at the time. Like that just doesn't happen no. anymore. And I think at the, I think on that team, Tyler Hansborough was a freshman. Yeah. Could be wrong, but. To build a team like that and to actually win a national title, I think that's kind of what we see with Villanova right now is a team that's building a program and, you know, occasionally they'll get like a transcendent talent that's going to go in the lottery of the NBA draft. 
Duke has just uh, they've sold they've sold out basically in my opinion. They're they're not building that core talent group, and then you see teams like UNC who consistently. I feel like the last three years under Roy Williams, UNC's been a team that's kind of felt like they were sputtering to start the season. Yeah, you know, not that traditional North Carolina power, and then all of a sudden January hits and they're dominant, right. and that's exactly what happened this year, and. To me, the two teams in the ACC that I'm most comfortable right now to put in the Final Four would be UVA sure. and UNC. And I'd have a hard time not putting them, regardless of draw, into the Final Four. Uh, but I think UNC, it's just they've got the the role players and the guys that know their role, that fit their role, and then they've got the young dynamic talent, especially with guys like Kobe White who are kind of leading the way, which kind of takes you to the game against Clemson this sure. weekend, which had Clemson won that game, they probably would have catapulted to a three seed the way it's been going for Clemson in the NCAA <laughs> yeah. tournament. But Kobe White at 28 points, UNC survives the scare against the Clemson Tigers. So Clemson drops to 17-12. and 12. They are technically sitting on the outside looking in for the NCAA tournament. They have two games left. They're playing right now against Notre Dame and they're tied at halftime against 13 to win Notre Dame. And they've got another game coming up this weekend. It's winnable. Who is it? Um, but you got to imagine if they win that game, if they win this game and they win on Saturday against Syracuse. So that's going to be a tough one. I got to imagine they're probably going to find, find themselves, in the NCAA tournament if they win one game in the ACC Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens with them because there's no loss that really jumps out. There's no win that really jumps out. They're playing decently in the best conference in basketball, and that's obviously going to help them out big. And it's also really, if you look on the Power Five at large scene right now, there's not a—the bubble's extremely weak this year. Um, which is going to help the ACC, I think, come tournament time because I think you're going to see two teams that that don't look super strong right now in Clemson and NC State. I think you're going to see them in the tournament in the end of the day. Um, neither team really has that that win, that, that just headliner that you'd like to see, but it looks like they're going to get in, both of them. Um, but it'll be great for the ACC, so honestly, I'm, I'm rooting for them. I hope they are able to sneak in. Um, but they just they come so close, but they can't get that one win. And like you said, one to two wins in the, in the ACC tournament, um, yeah, it, it's all still in Clemson's hands. And it, I feel like we've been saying that for weeks, but it's just that's how it, sh- it shook out to this point. I think the magic number in the ACC is 20 yeah. wins. And NC State's there, and they've got, you know, they're playing right now against Georgia right. Tech. And they've got a very winnable game on Saturday against Boston College. So they're at a 22 wins. I think they're a yeah. lock. And I think they're a lock as it is. I mean, they're I, they're only up by five right now at halftime against Georgia Tech, but I can imagine they're going to win yeah. that game. Win or lose against Boston College, who beat Louisville last week. Um, you know, I expect NC State to win their first game in the ACC tournament. I would be stunned if they were not in the NCAA yeah, tournament. Yeah, I agree. Clemson, on the other hand, to me, they have to get to 20 wins. So that means they have to win tonight against Notre Dame. They have to beat Syracuse. And if they 
don't beat Syracuse and then win in the first round of the ACC tournament, they better hope everybody else on that bubble is struggling or else I just I don't see how they're going to get in. And the only thing going in Clemson's favor right now, two things really, Sweet 16 last year and they play in the yeah. ACC. That's true. That's true, and and they're going to get so. their chance for uh, you know a headliner win maybe in the ACC tournament. So, worst comes to worst, if they do lose at Syracuse, maybe they'll get a chance to get uh, one win in the ACC tournament and uh, have another go at one of the big guys in the ACC and maybe pull off an upset um, to lock them in. But but as I said, working in Clemson's favor is the fact that the bubble is so weak this year. Um, but man, I just this all leads up to the point, which is I just can't wait for this ACC tournament. Uh, tournament basketball is, man, it's right up there with college football to me. This is when it starts to get really exciting. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't wait. I just love tournament basketball. I mean, there's no time of year better than no. March Madness. And it always seems like nowadays I've got something <laughs> going on that Thursday and yep. Friday of that first first round, that beautiful – greatest first round in sports yep. basically um but yeah i mean nothing uh nothing can even really touch it in my opinion mm-hmm. but let's uh let's finish up here so one more question from the mailbag this is from aaron up in pennsylvania he is a virginia tech alum he's got a question for us he says do you think it will take Tech a game or two to adjust to life with Justin Robinson since they've been without him for over a month? So just a little bit of uh, background there. Justin Robinson out of the walking boot. Sounds like there is a decent chance he could play against Miami on Friday night, uh, senior night in Blacksburg, uh, and he is a senior. So I think all signs are pointing to that as the game he comes into, which I think would be of great benefit for the Hokies. So it's not in their first game in the ACC tournament. But do I think that it will take them a little bit to adjust to life? Uh, No, no, I don't. I think what is going to be the biggest adjustment is for Justin Robinson and his stamina. But I think a 65% Justin Robinson is better than a 185% what be some yeah agreed it, it as you mentioned this isn't about Justin Robinson uh or the team adjusting right this is about Justin Robinson adjusting himself individually to the game of basketball both to the speed right because you get in a rhythm you get used to how fast the game is moving you find yourself in the game and it's 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 something that when you get knocked out of and you sit for a long period of time it can be hard to get back up to up to speed from the tempo you know, the the the, the mind and, and being in the game is, is something that's so hard to just jump back into cold, which is what he's going to have to do. But then you have the aspect that you mentioned, which is, okay, you've not been as physically active as you had been midseason. How does that translate over to your ability to run the point and, and stay at the pace do, with a stamp, from a stamina perspective? So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's really what you're looking at. How does J-Rob himself adjust how smoothly does that transition go? The team is absolutely begging for his playmaking ability. And and I think, as you said, if you get 60% out of Justin Robinson on that end, you're far ahead where you are now. Yeah, I mean, Justin Robinson coming back for the Hokies, I mean, that to me is 
the biggest momentum shift that they could have as a program. And I mean, look out for the Hokies if Robinson comes back oh, and he's man. healthy and he's ready oh, to man. go. And I assume that he is because he's been out now for about six weeks, which was kind of the max amount of time we were expecting him to be out. He's on, he's approaching that six week if he's not there already. So he, uh, if he can come back and be Justin Robinson, like we know, and with the defense that Virginia Tech's been playing, then yeah, go ahead, put him in San Jose Put him against Alabama and or TCU, and I hope it's Alabama because Alabama beat him in the first sure round did. last year, and let's see what happens. So Virginia Tech could easily make a run, um, and sitting in that 4-5 seed spot, which is where I think they're going to end up unless they somehow win the ACC tournament, um, I think that's a realistic expectation for the Hokies. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I think Friday will be – a uh a good target for robinson and to see kind of where he's at physically but let's go ahead and uh jump into the acc standing so uh not a lot is changing you know we talked about the florida state virginia tech game which kind of locked in the four seed there uh virginia is still sitting atop the acc although north carolina has the same conference record at 15 and 2 uva obviously holds the tie break and uh, Cavaliers, all they got to do is beat a uh, Louisville team that is limping into the last game of the season um, at home on Saturday to clinch the regular season ACC title. Uh, North Carolina's got Duke on Saturday, and I don't care if Zion's playing or not. I, we've been negative on Duke on this uh, on this episode, but I will say. Going into that North Carolina game where Zion got hurt, I felt like Duke was playing at an extremely high level. Um, that being said, him being off a few games, who knows how healthy he is. I assume he he will be near 100% or else he wouldn't be playing. Um, I still like North Carolina in that game. Um, then we got Duke at 3, Florida State 4, Virginia Tech 5. That is going to remain unchanged most likely unless... Yeah, I don't think Virginia Tech can fall out of that five spot. You got Syracuse, Louisville, NC State, and Clemson to wrap wrap out the uh, top nine. And then it's just uh, Boston College, Miami, Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh. One note about Pitt, they've lost 13 games in a row. It's incredible. And they were a team that was playing pretty well for what we expected coming into conference play. And I think that just shows how strong the ACC is. Even though there's, what, six teams that are under 500, I think if you put them in a lot of conferences across college basketball, they're at least 500 oh, sure. or better. Sure. So you, throw, you throw Pitt the into the SEC, I mean, what, what do you think they are? They're, they're close to 500, I would imagine. Um, that, that Pitt's a scrappy ball I don't club. know. I mean, SEC... If you put them in the Pac-12, they probably win the conference. <laughs> SEC's been uh, the SEC's been pretty good this year, so I'm not sure they'd fare much right. better. They'd probably have a few more wins. Not a good year to pick on the SEC with Tennessee uh, playing as well as they're playing. Now you got Tennessee, Kentucky, yeah. LSU, mm-hmm. Auburn, Alabama's been solid. So yeah, they've they've been uh, they've been pretty good. Uh, Miss, uh, Mississippi, mm-hmm. Mississippi State. Um, so let's jump into bracketology. This was updated coming into today's game. So we'll go bracket by bracket. 
East bracket right now, we've got UVA as a one seed. They will play the winner of Iona Norfolk State in Columbus, Ohio. So no UMBC there to worry about for UVA. And I think there's next to no chance they're going to lose this year in that first round. Uh, the seven seed is Louisville. How they are still hanging on to a seven seed is blowing my mind. Yeah, that's surprising. They are a team that has, they are just collapsing down the stretch. So I'll take Oklahoma as the 10 seed upset as of today. Uh, they're in Des Moines. If we move over to the West region, we've got, uh, Florida state sitting as a four seed. They'd be matched up against Hofstra. Uh, number nine seed Syracuse would be going up against Wisconsin, or, uh, Washington. And then NC State is still holding on to that 10 seed. They've been pretty much locked in as a 10 seed for quite a few weeks. And uh, they'd be going against Villanova. So that'd be a tough first oh, yeah. round matchup. Very tough. South brackets, we only have Duke. Duke is the only ACC representative, one seed against Campbell there in the first round. Sorry, guys, you're not going to win that one. And then the uh, Midwest region, we've got number two seed UNC going against Colgate, projected, of course. Uh, That would be in Columbia, South Carolina. And then we hit on the San uh, Jose-Virginia Tech relationship earlier. Virginia Tech would be playing against Alabama or TCU. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I think uh, UVA-Duke are most likely locked in as one seeds. Duke might be teetering on falling to right. a two. Uh, UNC might be teetering on jumping to a one, but I think that would be the biggest change that we see. NC State, Syracuse, Louisville are probably going to shift around. I really don't think Louisville is going to pull in a no, seven. That seems high. I, I would expect to see them. I'd expect to see them more in the ten to eleven, the way that they've closed out right. the season. Um, but they're they're going to get in. Uh, but just for conference breakdown purposes, again, for the Power Five, have eight. And then the lone Power Five team uh, that has less than eight is the Pac-12 with two. And one of those teams is on the <laughs> bubble. So Solid work, Pac-12. We'll, uh, <clears throat> we'll see what happens. But the last four buys, we've got Ole Miss, Minnesota, St. John's, and Arizona State. The last four in... We've got Alabama, Seton Hall, Temple, and TCU. And then the first four out, those are our Clemson Tigers, St. Mary's, Furman, and Murray State. So Murray State, I can't remember the guy's name, but they've got a uh, projected lottery pick on their team. Yeah, I can't remember his name either, but I know he can jump out of the gym. Yeah, one of those uh, freak athletes. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm excited for the ACC tournament next week. Uh, we'll have an ACC tournament preview for you at some point, um, either Monday mm-hmm. or Tuesday. And then, uh, yeah, then we'll just jump into it and start watching a lot of basketball. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to it. Like you said, this is one of the best times of year. This and bowl season, man, I just can't get enough of it. Yeah, no doubt. But uh, that is it for today. We are Chowder and Grits. You can visit us at chowderandgrits.com. And then, uh, Tim, why don't you tell these fine people how they can listen and or rate us? So, obviously, you can listen to us on any of the podcast streaming services that exist. Typically, uh, we look for any help that you can give us in regards to reviews, referrals. Uh, The best compliment you can pay us is to tell someone else to come listen to us. 
Um, we ask you to please give us a five-star rating, tell your friends about us, and uh, we will keep churning out the content that you're wanting to hear. ACC basketball and football coming to you every week, week as well as your favorite fast food reviews. Uh, we do it all here. Well, one pod for all of your podcast needs. That's what we're here for. Um, Justin, I think that's it to close us out for the week. As usual, I will leave you guys with a go ACC, and I look forward to previewing that ACC tournament with you next week. See you guys later.